This podcast is produced by Unedited. I knew that what I was doing was what I wanted to do and that would reach beyond what was a, a stereotypical audience for a black female. David was writing something in the sand and I remember my stomach going, the butterflies going, thinking, oh my God. Yes, the law's changing, but it's not really acted upon very quickly. Hey, it's your girl Anika and welcome to the final episode of this season of the Black Magic Podcast. I hope you're sad because I am that it's ending for this season. But hey, I'm excited because we'll be back. And also we have this last episode for you with three amazing guests. Later on in the episode, we're going to be hearing from soul singer extraordinaire Beverly Knight. But now in the studio with me, I have diversity champion and founder of New Bride, Nova Reed, and TV and radio presenter and founder of the Red Carpet Academy, Leah Charles King. So it's safe to say they're both two very busy ladies. So hey ladies, how are you doing? Very good, thank you. Thank good. you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being here for the invitation. It's lovely to have you on the show. So let's just kick start with you guys telling us a bit about yourself. So Leah, let's start with you. So I'm Leah Charles King. I am a TV and radio broadcaster. I've been in TV, in the media industry for 20 years in the entertainment industry as a whole for over 35 years, although nobody ever really believes that. Um, and I also have my own business, the Red Carpet Academy, where I teach people, I coach them how to speak, how to present on camera and off camera, mainly businesses and professionals and entrepreneurs as well. So that is my main chunk. And you can see me most nights on ITV doing one of those roulette shows and have my <laughs> own show on the Beat London as well. I do Leah CK Drive Time on Old School Fridays, which is always very good. So you're a very busy bee. Yeah. 35 years in the industry. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Do you mind me asking how old you are? Well, that's a big mystery. Nobody yeah. really knows. And that is a million dollar question that okay. everyone tries to get out of me. Even, you know, you start typing my name into Google. The first thing that comes up how is old? Leah Charles King age. <laughs> and I find that so it means a lot of people have been searching that in yeah. order for Google to recognise yeah. that. And just the more people are interested, the less I want to say it. And it's not even a big deal. I just I find it quite amusing. So yeah, anyway. so it's like question mark. Because obviously, you know, we all know the same black don't crack. So you say 35 <laughs> I'm like, 35 like, years? What? How old? When did you start in the womb? Like, what's going on there? <laughs> so Nova, let's um, tell us a bit about you. What's your background? Uh, my background is I'm the founder of a wedding blog called New Bride. I've been a digital influencer for nearly six years now. And that has led me into becoming a diversity culture change ambassador. And I work with individuals, businesses and brands to ultimately be the change they want to see in the world. What kind of, so when you say diversity culture ambassador, yes. like what does that really entail? So I, I, I offer training and I work with businesses and brands to find out what's going on with their bias, to find out why their businesses might not be as visually inclusive as they would like it to be. So most of the work I do is around race equality and we have conversations about race and um, inclusion and disability ability and Everything else that encompasses diversity, but my speciality is race diversity. So how did you get into that? Um, randomly. <laughs> <laughs> it, my, my blog champions diversity. It celebrates diverse couples in love. It showcases more than the one-dimensional 
view of of a wedding couple that we often see in the the mainstream, the mm. quintessentially white British. It shows that actually, you know, black couples, multicultural couples, Turkish couples are getting married too. And let's exactly, see they are there. We are there. We're there, and we spend money. Yes, we're, we're not <laughs> poor. We're not all poor. And I think that you know, there's some stereotypes and hey, things. The black weddings that I've been to have definitely been far from poor weddings. <laughs> hey, <laughs> they're breaking it. the bank. <laughs> and that was my point when I got engaged. I was like, what is going on here? You know, I, I was engaged and I was ready to spend money and there was just no representation for me whatsoever. There was nothing on catwalk shows, nothing in magazines. I was going to wedding shows and I would get goodie bags with tanning products in. So it, it was at every single corner. They weren't thinking of me and my husband. It was like we were invisible. So mm-hmm. that's why I started New Bride to get those messages and the visual representation out there. And a result, as a result of that, businesses and individuals started coming to me and saying, how do I reach your market? Mm. I'm doing something wrong. I'm not communicating in the right way. How can I be more inclusive than I currently am? And that's when the diversity culture change work came about. Okay, so it's you I need to come to when someone decides to put a ring on it for me. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Or when uh, um, advertising companies like Dove (laughs) get themselves in trouble again. So we talk, I talk about bias. I talk about cultural appropriation. everything that encompasses that yeah nice nice so keeping very busy as well yes i love it ladies you two are kind of grinding hard so yeah yeah how did you get into presenting how did that start so 35 years where did it all begin it began as a child actress uh, just doing little bits and bobs and then i got into a girl band with my other cousins my first cousins at a very young age what was that girl band called cliche Cli- i remember cliche oh, I remember. oh my god i didn't even realize that showing my age yeah well <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i was a member of cliche and yeah we had a couple of hits in the charts as you guys would know and got a lot of support at that time in the 90s was pretty big say some of the, the song names for those that don't know if they want to google um Reasons was our first single. Rush was the one that, you know, everyone really mm. knew Rush. And we we were signed to Sony. We had a development deal for many years before we even released anything. Mm. And those were the days when the industry was like that. You were developed first before mm. you were pushed out there. And now it's all just about quick fame, fortune and money. Mm. And so I come sing? from... No. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I say that very clearly to anyone who tries to say, can you sing us a song? No. I was thinking that. I wasn't going to say it. But I was thinking, I would love to hear her sing. No, I, no, you wouldn't. I tell you, I have now got a voice for radio. Um, my voice is absolutely, well, what I'm told and what I believe as well, more distinctive than it was when I was in the band. Okay. And during the end of the band, my voice actually broke like a guy really yeah How random it, it was but it completely changed and I had to miss out a lot of our tours and stuff like that I mean we were supporting Lionel Richie and arena tours oh, wow. and, you know I used Big to do things. backing vocals for George Michael and Mary J Blige so was doing all, and my voice was breaking I was unable <laughs> to hit these yeah. higher notes wow. and you hear that sort of resonance the, the sort of lower mm. huskiness that wasn't my original voice so if I meet people from school and you think that, they go have you got cold are you alright I'm like no this this is my new voice. I've had it <laughs> 20 odd years. It's fine. I like it. And actually, I, I don't always like it. I don't know if anyone really gets used to their own voice, <laughs> but it's helped propel me since getting into media after after the girl band ended, after Cliché ended. I then got into TV okay. and it was from doing all of those sort of TV tours 
you know, you'll go on programs like GMTV this morning. Yeah. Uh, you know, all that type of stuff. And um, I was always the spokesperson. I was always <laughs> the one that was selling the group. And yeah. Which always kind of people go, gosh, you know, that one obviously can really, really sing. And you're the talker and you can really sell. And we really kind of engage with you. Um, and so it was just a natural thing for me. Mm. to want to be a presenter, although nobody wanted to do it in those days. It wasn't the cool thing. Yeah. Everyone wanted to be a singer or an actor. Nobody wanted to be a presenter, you know, 20 years ago. It was just nothing that people thought of. So when I wanted to do it, it was very authentic in a sense of I'm not waking up this morning going, I want to be a presenter. It was mm. an authentic thing that is actually very technical, and I think people forget that. Especially in this yeah, day and age, where there easy. are live chat buttons everywhere, live mm. video features, YouTube channels, and all the rest. I think it's brilliant that now anybody can get their message around the world, like what we're doing here. I think yeah. it's fantastic. But also, I would also say that you sometimes people discredit the old school mm. presenters like mm. myself who've actually developed a craft for years and years and years. And presenting is very technical. Yeah, very technical. I I feel three hours of live TV every single night. Well, most nights on ITV, and it's unscripted. It's unrehearsed. There aren't no water cues. Nobody's spoon feeding you, and you've got to do a job. But you cannot. It's very hard to find presenters like that now. Mm. So, do you think? Um because with presenting, you know, especially now with like the whole vloggers there and a lot of the times you look on TV and it's the same faces mm. that are picking from reality TV or the music artists turn presenters and things. So, you know, if you're a kind of seasoned professional and you've been established, sometimes they can be overlooked for those things. So how do you find kind of trying to keep relevant and stay in the industry? Do you know what? That's a really, really good question, actually. And it's something that I question myself a lot as well. <laughs> you know, how do I do this? First of all, it is about longevity because people come and go. Mm. And that's what this industry is about. It will chew you up and spit you out. And really, if your core isn't in it, it will just it will fizzle away. It will go out, you know, just, just disappear, really. And so I've seen many people come and go over the years. Mm. Um, I think this is where my spirituality comes in has to be grounded I've gone through some dark times mm, yeah. it hasn't been 20 years of just mega success yeah. and amazingness um, yes I've won loads of awards yes I've got recognition but that wasn't always the case and it's taken a long time to get there and I used to kind of go oh my gosh why is that reality star getting that mm. when I've I've worked my craft and yeah. why is that person why am I always seeing the same faces hosting Saturday night TV and yet I've still got that glass ceiling whereas yes we'll put you on ITV like I'm the first and only black female CITV presenter in almost 40 years that's crazy so it is unbelievable mm. so it's like there's been nobody else ever since and it's like well where is that glass ceiling and where does it end mm. and so for me it's more about First of all, longevity and how to get that is really by God's grace. It, it wasn't something that I have been able to manufacture or I've been able to bottle. I've been able yeah. to say, this is the path. This is the course. There are times when I've wanted to give up. There are times when I have given up. But yet that overriding thing of this is your purpose. This is what you've got to be doing. And it's not necessarily presenting. Yeah, It could be my story. It could be just a young black woman at home I have women and children or people who said I've grown up watching mm. you on TV 
And it could be that, that if people have said, I've gotten into this because you in- just seeing you encouraged me to do something yeah. different. Exactly. You know? And that was the whole point behind kind of doing the Black Magic Awards and mm. and doing this podcast is to give one people the place to be able to tell their stories, but also for us to have a space to listen and hear hear these stories and say, oh, actually, somebody's somebody is a presenter. Somebody there. There are other black brides. I'm not the I'm not just the only one or I'm not feeling left out because of the industry. So it's amazing Absolutely. to kind of hear things like this. I mean, Nova, has there ever been a time when you've ever felt like giving up? Oh, gosh, many times, um, many times. I mean, my background before I before I started running my own business and, and, and sort of found New Bride, I worked in the acting industry. Oh, OK. Uh, that was my first love, if you like. And um, I had I was in and out of jobs, mm. in and out of jobs. And I, I found the limitations with the amount of roles that were available to me as a black woman really demotivating and um, I it was un- I, I went into that industry probably quite naive I was 18 to 21 and I thought you know you go to one of these top drama schools and you'll just get job after job after job and and there are only a handful of people of color there and um, every single one of us struggled yeah. uh, not because of lack of talent because of lack of opportunity yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, so I retrained and that's when I started my my world in in sort of therapy and um, I worked in mental health for about 10 years and it was during that time I got engaged mm. and that's when I founded my blog I got engaged and then found there was nothing for me and so some of the feelings I was getting when I was working in the acting industry started coming back again I was like are we still no further forward with this <laughs> with don't. representation yeah. you know is, is it in the wedding industry as well it's the same thing and I thought you know what it's time it's time for me to do something about this so I I didn't I turned the negativity into a positive, started New Bride. The message started resonating with lots of other people, not just other couples getting married, but Mm. people who work in the wedding industry, designers, photographers, um, you know, wonderful, wonderful suppliers. And the message was resonating and and it got to a point where I couldn't manage it anymore, (laughs) sort of in the evenings and alongside my day job. Um, and it became my full-time job last year. So in that time, there's been many times because, you know, juggling, you're trying to make things work and you're trying to grow things. And, you know, when you're a digital influencer, you're the face of your brand all the time. I have to be on social media several times a day, every day. Um, And for somebody who likes to practice mindfulness, it's a bit of a conflict of interest (laughs) and it it can become hard. And also, when you put yourself out there in that capacity, and I champion equality and race equality in particular I get trolled you can't have one without the other so yeah what's what's been the worst kind of thing that's happened I mean obviously I I always say don't feed the trolls anyway like in terms of getting back to them I don't necessarily want to give them airtime. but how does it feel for you when you get kind of trolled um it depends on my mood if that Mm. makes sense sometimes (laughs) I can just easily just let it go and move on with my day yeah. other times it will it will be there and it will permeate and it will start to eat into my self-worth doesn't happen much but it can happen it's not great it's just mm. you, you know you you, you want to wonder why somebody who has never even met you wants to say such vicious and evil things to you yeah. and I think social media has all of these wonderful qualities and opportunities it provides, but it also gives pla- a platform for people to say things that they wouldn't say to you to your face. Definitely. Absolutely, and what a, inappropriate as well, if I could step in and just, mm. you know, agree with uh, Nova there. I mean, I've recently, 
after a two-year battle, have just had an online stalker arrested and sentenced. Um, you know, so I know that kind of that sort of journey yeah. of mine wasn't necessarily trolling it was more a case of just online abuse yeah. so what, what, how did it start? well it started by a, a, a player a fan a viewer yeah. of uh, one of the late night shows I do on ITV which is the casino show mm. and yes you get a lot of different types of people watching that it, it, you know anyone really um <laughs> but obviously it's it's late night tv as well you know it's yeah, it's midnight so onwards. yeah you know <laughs> you're gonna get that and understandable i get that a lot on social i can ignore it but there was an incident with one viewer who was a player he had an account we kind of knew who he was because he'd always email mm. every night when i was there and they were always like hi leah and tweet saying hi it was all quite normal but in parallel to that over two years or so i was getting really obscene abusive um sexually explicit I mean really disgusting things and there was a phase where I was just getting maybe about 30 tweets a night 40 tweets of just this person just graphic stuff graphic stuff it's ridiculous though like your face is there you've got an account we know who you are but you feel so bold and brave to just be able to do and say these things and it just shows the kind of time we're in like you know even though they're sitting at a computer or using their phone that you feel confident you could do that that you can do that it's unbelievable and you know know they really thought that what they were doing was okay Mm. and then one day when I sort of said all right enough's enough um they then started sending death threats and and this was all whilst I was on air they were like coming to the studio gonna kill you going to and like really graphic stuff so it turned quite ugly well even more ugly um so the police were called Obviously, you know, ITV, Netplay, the company who do the show, they have a duty of care. So the police had to get involved, but it took two years. And it's scary because essentially if he's saying, I'm going to come to the studio, you don't know when you leave there if if my my man's lurking outside (laughs) waiting for you. Exactly. You know, you post on social media and you're like, oh yeah, I'm having dinner at this lovely restaurant. You know, for all you know, now he could be looking and then knowing and turning up at that restaurant. This is why I'm incredibly careful with social media anything mm. I put on there is considered okay. it's very considered before I put it on there yes there are some things you can't get away from if I'm hosting an event or something somebody knows I'm going to be there yeah. as a general whole you won't get from me at the time of where I am mm. what I'm doing um, unless something's alive and yeah. I can't get away from that um, otherwise I have to just kind of be very careful about that and I'd like to put out there for anyone so happens to be listening to this anywhere that I do go is very very um, heavily secured. So mm. that's one thing. Our our security is so important. And so anywhere that I do work, there are measures in place with, you know, whether it's gated, security and all the rest of it. I think, you know, I, I, I share a lot of what you say. You know, it resonates with me as well. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, again, even though I'm a digital influencer, I am careful with what I post and when I post it. Sometimes yeah. if I'm at a live event and I'm covering it, I might not post it until after the event is finished. Um, but sometimes it's unavoidable. So there is a vulnerability about being the face of your brand that you have to you have to encompass yeah. because unfortunately there are some people who 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 want to do that, who want to cause harm or distress to you based on whatever is feeding their 
whatever is feeding their desire to do that unfortunately it happens yeah mm. is we're living in a completely different world now yeah and i'm in fear of sounding really old um it's just so different you know when i started we didn't have email and there wasn't facebook and there wasn't youtube and you didn't have all that stuff you literally yeah. had a phone <laughs> and a yellow pages it's funny um because i'm kind of obviously because i'm kind of in the middle of the kind of um kind of that old kind of generation and the new generation and working in digital I get a bit of it both yeah. so initially when I first started kind of using social media and emails and the internet and things I remember just being at college and you'd be being chat rooms and forums and things and you wouldn't you wouldn't care like what you were saying going and people would arrange to meet up with people and things and you wouldn't you didn't have Absolutely. any any fear and a lot of people still don't have have fear of things these I mean obviously you've got apps like tinder and all sorts mm. where you can kind of just meet up with people but I think it is right for people to consider to be more considered when they're doing things and stuff you know like if you're meeting somebody from social media to make sure you're telling people where you're going who it is that you're meeting and and being being a lot more careful yeah because we do have so much more information out there and sometimes we don't even realize the amount of information Mm. we're putting out there and people can use that to build up a picture of you and who you are I tell my mum all the time because she's just <laughs> bless her. She run, she's a cake baker. She runs her own business only only very recently, and so she's trying to you know get to grips with everything. And she's mm. just gone onto Instagram, and um, she was staying at a hotel somewhere for a break. And she yeah. started posting where she was. The room number was on there. Their names were on there. Wow. And I said, Mum, remove that because somebody could then either take your identity or turn up and cause problems. Yeah. So it might be me being slightly over paranoid, but I do think that we can be a bit more careful with what we put online. I think you're very justified in that. Mm. I'd be exactly the same. Like you say, it's always about, you know, if you can post something a bit later on or something like that. I mean, it's not not me being dodgy or anything. It just really (laughs) is protection, I think. You've you've lived it, so you know know what to expect. So I'm glad he's got arrested. So he's got arrested and charged? Yes, and he was, yes, arrested, charged and and sentenced. We found out that, you know, he wasn't very clever. So we (laughs) realised he was a fan. He was a viewer. He had a playing account. We found out quite quickly where he was, which was Birmingham. Are you from Birmingham? I am from Birmingham. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, sorry. Guys, guys, not everybody. No, everybody from Birmingham is like that. He's a one-off madman. Just saying. No, he was. He was. I actually used to live in Birmingham. My first job on CITV was based in Birmingham, okay, no. so I have a love of Birmingham. I lived there for yeah, two years. He hasn't half put years. you off. No, he hasn't put me off, and I was there recently as well. But um, he was from there, and but it was just the whole system because online abuse and trolling Mm. isn't really taken fully as seriously Mm. as someone physically stalking you. Yeah. And so, yes, the law's changing, but really, unless you're a really big name in the public figure, it's not really acted upon very quickly. So it took like a good year and a half before anything started really moving and evidence came in and then him being arrested twice and failing to turn up to court and then oh it was crazy it was crazy but it's behind us yeah it is like his his history now so he better be he better be yeah he got what he deserved I'll set a knicker on it yes you are I'm very fierce when it comes to people I know protecting the people I love Nova where are you from Nova I was born and raised in Hertfordshire, Jamaican heritage. Oh. Yeah. So what was Hertfordshire like, kind of being black in Hertfordshire? It was interesting. I didn't realise I was black until I was about seven years old. 
Okay. I, I, rem- I have this memory that I remember so clearly. And uh, my young girl was across the road with her mother. And she... She couldn't have been more than about five mm. and um, possibly a little bit younger. And she was pointing to her mum and said, Mummy, Mummy, why has that girl got the same colour as poo-poo? Mm-mm. And it was at that moment I started to start questioning why I didn't look like anyone around me, why yeah. all the people in my classes were different, why my mum, who is red skin, was lighter than me. Mm. And so because I had this sort of seed of poo-poo, I was like, well, am I dirty? Oh. So that's when sort of race and identity started coming into play for me around seven or eight years old, yeah. And what helped you figure that out? Really open, understanding parents Mm. um, who just instilled me with a lot of self-love. It took a lot of work, you know, well into my teens. I struggled massively with low self-esteem, but just always reinforcing that and being wonderful, positive role models for me and, you know, encouraging me to do my best and to, you know, to to achieve and have, you know, Mm. what my what my white peers have and to be deserving of that. So a lot of love and support from from great parents and and, uh, a hilarious brother who always turned the racism into a joke. That was his way of dismantling it. Yeah. I would absorb it and and become self-deprecating. He would turn it into humour. And so that inspired me in some ways. So So you experienced a lot of racism growing up? I wouldn't say a lot. Um, I think it was just for me going through that sort of, you know, as a teenager, just going through that growth, that adolescence, that was when I became more self-conscious of it, mm. um, when I really struggled, I couldn't get makeup. So when all my peers were sort of making themselves up, there was no makeup for my skin tone. So I always felt behind yeah. with sort of beauty and my hair and, and all of that sort of thing. So yeah, I experienced racism, people waving flags in my face, telling me to go back to my own country, calling me the N-word, scraping things on desks and so forth and so on. Mm. Um, but it was, you know, now looking back at it, it was very juvenile and, yeah. and they probably didn't know any better. Um, it's learnt behaviour, isn't it? Yeah. It's learnt behaviour. I mean, I know that you said you grew up in Hertfordshire. We were discussing this earlier, like Watford and places like that. I went to school in Harrow Wealdstone. Yes. Um, I am a born and bred Londoner. I grew up made of and then kind of manoeuvred to Wembley, went to yeah. school in Harrow and things like that. And even Wembley, so diverse now, go back 20 years, let alone Watford and Hertfordshire, it was white. Yeah. Oh, wow. It was white middle class. It's yeah. not like how it is now. It's very diverse. You get people of all different races cultures and actually now inner city London which is where we were all moved from has now become beautifully gentrified and it's all wonderful and very expensive but we were all given sold a dream to move to the suburbs yeah. move to the greenery of Wembley and and now it's not like that at all so I can only imagine because I experienced very similar things yeah. but I was a bit more in London if yes, that makes yes, sense yes, that. I grew up so whilst I still got that you know you have these little kids looking at you going why does she look like that and all that I remember going to my friend's house quite you know often and this is a time when I really experienced racism Mm. I think when it really hit me um her her mother god rest her was polish her father god rest him scottish and you know i went to school with these girls two sisters and it was great and i used to go there all the time but they used to have these parties with their friends and you know these sort of lavish sort of affairs and i remember going there and it was almost like i realized one day that i was like the 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 entertainment yeah the so token, token. Oh, yes wow. you know yeah. like the real old school 
Victorian times where yeah. it's like let's wheeling yeah. the black person and yeah. in those days when the girl band days and I used see. to wear a lot of sort of spiky co- collars and things yeah. like that you know I used to do that sort of edgy rock thing and they would go um Leah um are you, do you climb trees? Oh, my wow. my dad asked me to ask you. My dad in Poland asked me to ask you if you climb trees. If you and I actually didn't. I still didn't, didn't get understand. it You're until like, my friends about? went. Mum, you can't say that. Stop that. And then the penny dropped that. Oh, my gosh. You're calling me a monkey. Like, I didn't even... I couldn't even believe it. And that is always something that's really stuck with me, actually, over the years. And I think that was one of the real key times where racism punched me in the face. And ever since then, it's never really left me because being in the TV industry... I've had many jobs based upon the colour of my skin. Mm -hmm. So positive discrimination. And I've had many jobs not given to me by top producers at the Beeb, at ITV, all the rest of it, who said, you're one of the best presenters that are out there. You're really good at what you do. But we just don't feel like the audience want to see black people outside of London. So, you know, unfortunately, we can't give you that. And I believe them. I don't think it was a black that they were just trying to let me down gently because they're seeing me. They're having time with me. They're having tea and coffee. They wouldn't even waste their time of day if they didn't respect who I am and what I do but it was just a case of we really feel that we can't but the advice we'd give you and this was the always the advice <laughs> become famous date a footballer hang out with the it <laughs> crowd you know hang advice. out with the it crowd <laughs> fall out of a taxi no um, you know with your with your show show your knickers as you fall out of a taxi and <laughs> get, you know, get in the magazines get, yeah, get, a, get in the get in the sun absolutely <laughs> and then and then you'll be able to then you'll be able to get these jobs not based upon your talent but based upon your your status status. and that's Mm. crazy I was at an ITV party and uh Dermot O'Leary, who I really rate as a presenter, he came up to me. It was an ITV party for all their talent, so everyone was there. And he said to me, what are you doing awake so late, so early, Leah? And I just sort of looked at him and I thought, okay, I don't really know him. So I thought it was pretty cool that he he knew knew me. me He's watched you. Yeah, and I said, what are you doing up so late? And he goes, oh, you never believe it, blah, blah, blah. He said, but let me tell you this, I couldn't do your job. Mm. And you know what? That was one of the nicest pats on the back actually because another presenter who does one of the biggest shiny floor Saturday night entertainment programs who I know is a you know which is a juggernaut it's a beast of a show it's auto cues got millions of scripts script writers teams and Ah. everyone running around and he looks at me and he could see that actually what I do is very skeleton in terms Mm -hmm. of that ITV show and it's three hours of live unscripted he just said I can't do it whereas his is all very scripted very produced yeah. and you know yeah. either where you're looking at an auto cue or someone's in his Absolutely. ear telling him but he's a fantastic but he's fantastic great. presenter I've met Dermot before I even was on um, I was on a game show once really yeah, it was a game show <laughs> <laughs> luckily you can't see it anymore oh. <laughs> and, um, someone was, will find it on he, YouTube uh, he was the host and so but he was oh, really lovely he's a lovely yeah. lovely man yeah so that's quite nice when your peers recognise 
what you do I would imagine the same do you have a lot of support actually Nova or do you find it quite isolating both I mean you know the day to day is isolating and then especially if you're having a day when you're you're receiving troll trolling and all sorts of things and you can get quite internalised but actually yeah for the most part I do have a a really lovely support network um, of people that work within press uh, photographers designers um, cinematographers so yeah some wonderful people that support my platform but also the work I do with bringing more diversity inclusion into business and then in turn in society so yeah can I I just obviously it's a wedding blog and it started because you were getting married can I just ask what's the proposal story is there a story (laughs) there is a story I want to know the story just saying (laughs) black love and all okay so David and I had been together five years Mm -hmm. and we'd already bought a house so I was keen to be married (laughs) so we'd had many your conversation and I had just got totally fed up I thought you know what we're just going to live our lives mm. in a relationship and we're not going to get married and if that's what's if that's what's going to happen then fine fair enough but you just... weren't really satisfied no, you say that in your head I thought you, no I you, really you know <laughs> as women so I, I'd, I'd given up I'd given up expecting it and um, it was mm. my dad's 60th birthday and we'd all gone a hol- on a holiday in the Bahamas oh nice and um David was writing something in the sand and I remember my stomach going, the butterflies going, thinking, oh my God, he's going to write, will you marry me in the sand? And and he didn't. He just wrote, I love Nova. So I thought, okay. (laughs) After that moment, I thought, I'm not going to anticipate anymore. So um, I was working in my job um, with, with students with mental health and I had just been working with a wonderful human being who had taken her life and I was really saddened by it really really Mm. upset and I was just so flat and my husband said you know what we haven't been out for ages let's go out on a you know a date if you want I was no uh, I don't want to go anywhere it's been very dramatic and he said no let's go out so he Mm. took me out to the Oxo tower in uh, um, embankment oh, embankment yeah. is my most favorite place yes. in oh. london it always has been and i think that's why he chose it I had a lovely free course meal and then it was all it was um autumn it was the or oh, testing me now it's the 4th of november okay, nice. so the sort of he had the fairy lights in the trees were already yeah. there london is very pretty at night very yeah. pretty at night mm. and we'd gone for a walk he said should we go for a walk after walk off the food so yeah so we went for a stroll it was the most peaceful quiet time i've ever seen embankment there was barely anybody there mm. and he just walked me along a pier and um, said let's just take in the sights and uh, next thing you know he's on one knee shuffling around in his pocket (laughs) and I burst into tears before he said anything and and that was our moment so yeah yeah, it came really unexpected time and I think that's what made it more beautiful Oh, nice. That's lovely. Are you in a relationship? I'm not in a relationship, no. Oh. Um, <laughs> again, it's something people ask me all the time. And I think as a woman, maybe a successful woman, people, that's what they want to see. Well, where mm. is her man? Who yeah. has she got? Whatever. I'm very private anyway. I've never been somebody to put anything out there and showcase things anyway that's just not me so it's not that I'm secretive it's just that I have to guard what I have and I think people not all people but people are very inquisitive about certain things that I just think do you know what I'm here about my craft and I'm here about um, my love of people and to help people to find their Mm. own voice and to support people I do a lot for mental health as well Mm. so the rest of it 
partners, kids, all of that. I just feel that it's irrelevant for yeah. my story and me. And so the answer would always be no. <laughs> <laughs> well, whether, whether she has one or not, that absolutely yeah. no. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind, people. I, I think mean, there is an expectation with women to ask that well. You know, before David and I were together for for five years, and and so we would always get the "When are you getting married?" question. And now we're married, we're like, "When are you having children?" So there there is always a there's a perceived idea of yes. what women should be and where they should be at certain points within their mm-hmm. life based on their age. And I yeah. think it's ex- there's extreme pressure. Yeah, yeah. lots um, of pressure. That, Chris, um, from Blackish, Tracy Ellis Ross um, spoke about that, and so she did a, um, a speech. Um, so she was named like Glamour's Woman of the Year, and um, and she did a speech and she said this and her main kind of point was this life is mine so it's mine to choose what I want to do how I want to do it where I want to be and and she's 45 Mm. and she gets asked oh you know where's your man Mm. because she's she's single and just dating like oh don't don't you want kids or people sad because she hasn't got kids and it's like actually you know if I want kids at 50 then you know possibly my Janet Jackson's just had a biological kid at 50 and if not then there's always adoption there's always a route and it's not and and if I don't want kids then I just don't have to have kids why is why is it always expected to kind of like if you're not if you're not married if you haven't had children if you I don't know don't own a home if you're not earning mm, a certain I think amount, there's a lot like, of pressure and a lot of like you say standards that people sort of put onto you that mm. well you're of a certain age you should be married you should have kids and when I was getting of a certain age I had that same pressure oh my gosh my life is ending I haven't mm. done all these things <laughs> yeah. yet um, and you really do take on that pressure I mean I was having a conversation with my dad just before I came here and it was his birthday um, yesterday and we're going out on the weekend and he's just gone to me gosh, I've forgotten my age, he said. So we're laughing about that. <laughs> and then we sort of correlated it to my age. And mm. then he's gone, cool, blimey. Well, look at you. You need to sort yourself out as well. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, OK. It's not the first time I've heard that from you. Let's move on. You yeah. know, And he doesn't mean any harm of by course. it. But it really is that standard of, well, you're of a certain age. Why have you, you need to get your act together. Where are your children? Where are you this and that? So it is interesting. I just think that people naturally just do that they do it with women they don't do it do with men. men they don't yes. do it with my yes. husband well men can have kids up until you know they're 100 really oh, got, as long as they're living I got, I got an uncle who had his last kid at it was either 60 or 70 one or the other wow he, he had, yeah I've just had, had an uncle who's had a kid yeah. at like 65 they could continue to have yeah. children Crazy. and it's just <laughs> fortunate for them but like you say as women it's not the be all and end all and we can make it happen I mm. think yeah if we want it if we want that life and if yeah. we don't that should also be respected and we're not looked at like we're aliens yes. exactly. as well exactly and also as well the pressure can make some women kind of like feel anxious or depressed uh, like not necessarily to have a family or kids but just in terms of what the society anxiety, yeah. absolutely huge absolutely. huge anxiety and, and you know with, with the people that I work with, with 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 women who are running businesses as well there's this massive pressure like it, I can't do it all. I can't run the business and be this career woman yes. and and run a family and run a household and have children and do them mm. all effectively yes. to the standard that is expected of us. And there is enormous pressure for f- female business owners who... Yeah who may or may not want that life as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I used to suffer a lot of anxiety over yeah. that, actually. Um, just for the same thing. I'm now into a phase where I'm like, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. But like you say, running a business as I do and, and you know, 
in conjunction with my presenting and that kind of career, there is a lot of pressure actually mm. and a lot of anxiety that goes with it mm. and you do kind of can feel quite down in those kind of times so anyone else out there that is listening to this just know that it's quite yeah. normal to yes, feel that way definitely. even for the some of us who come across as extremely confident yeah. and together mm. absolutely these are human conditions anxiety exactly. low yeah. mood and feeling inferior yeah. yeah lots of people that you know will smile kind of in person but then they're going to go home and cry and you just yeah. don't know how you know. they're feeling I mean Leah talking about business tell us a bit more about the Red Carpet Academy why did you why is that important to you why did you start that Red Carpet Academy actually came out of a time of really severe depression. So mm. I was incredibly depressed and I had this vision many years when I was deep in that mm. kind of zone. And, you know, it's funny, God gives you those visions at times where you're looking around going, I can't do this. Are you mm. crazy? I'm not in no position to start this. I had the name. I knew it was the business. <laughs> yeah. I, I wrote it all down. And, you know, I did nothing with it for seven years. Wow. Nothing with it because mm. I was just, you know, my confidence had gone low. I hadn't worked. I'd been out of work on and off for like a good year or so. And it was just a really difficult time. I was severely depressed. How did you get out of that funk? Um, I like that funk. That it funk. was it, it was funk. real funk. <laughs> um First of all, I suffered with it for many years without even taking stock of what it was, mm. not even realising yeah. what yeah. it was, to be honest with you. It was like it was normal for me to be in bed for days and not yeah. get up and not dress and not eat. It just became very normal to them. But then suddenly you start thinking other thoughts that aren't quite right. And you know yeah. it's not quite right, but yet you can't help those thoughts and where they come. And you're just so deep into a black hole that actually you cannot see the wood from mm. the trees. And I was mm. saying this to someone the other day that they said um, a mutual friend that we knew had taken their life. And they said that they'd heard that people in that situation have often said that they're in black and they can't see anything. And yeah. I said, I know that. I've seen it. I've lived it. Where it's like black all around you. You cannot. You know, like when you turn the lights off and for that moment before yeah. your eyes adjust, it's just pitch black and you cannot see. Yeah. That is what I was living every single day. So, so I so what, had this, you, what made you kind of eventually get up out of bed or seek help or I don't know if you did seek help or just yeah, kind of Yeah, I mean I did. Move, I'd move gone forward. to the doctors and you know Nova if I was was speaking about this before we we started recording this podcast, you know that the first thing a doctor does is a GP is mm. they will give you antidepressants. It's mm. kind of the blanket, the plaster for everyone, but actually not yeah. everyone needs antidepressants. Exactly. And a general practitioner doesn't necessarily know the different levels of mental illness. Of course. Yeah. There are many, it's like a rainbow spectrum. Yeah. So anyway, I was taking those. But what really turned it around, I had to have quite a um, quite a serious operation. Yeah. And this operation, you know, changed a lot. It's something that many black and Asian women suffer from, which is fibroids. fibroids. Oh, wow, uh -huh. yeah. And I had severe fibroids on the outside and inside of my womb. Yeah. Oh, wow. So they were quite big, one the size of a four-month fetus and oh, wow. others the size of... So it was quite a, quite a hardcore operation. And I then had complications with it oh, no. in the recovery stage, so I couldn't sit, I couldn't walk, I couldn't do anything. And I think going through that, I just thought, 
do you know what? Something in me just said I need to live. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as I could sit up, you know, they had to teach me how to walk again and all the rest of it. And I then asked for my laptop and from my hospital bed, I started creating the first Red Carpet Academy website. I knew wow. nothing about websites. I knew nothing. It was just a vision <laughs> made of what I'd had from seven years prior. And I just said, do you know what? This is in my heart. This is what I want to do. And I want to give other people a chance to use their voices in the way that I've been suppressing mine at that point for many years. And actually, I've learned all this. It is mm. a craft and I can share those skills with other people. And now, three years on, <laughs> um, I have coached like over 300 people. And, you know, it's changing people's lives. And I'm cool with that. Yeah. I'm cool with that. And, you know, if that's my, my sole purpose, then... I hope to be walking in it, but I feel like there's a lot more and I'm sure you'd agree with that yeah. and Nova yeah. would agree always. with that. There's always more. There's a lot more to come. Yeah. I'm, um, and it's beautiful that you kind of made something out of that situation that you were going through. And I think fibroids is something that so many people kind of yeah. around us, yeah. around us, what if you, Nova's even putting her hands up. So yeah. you've had experience with that as I'm well. I'm scheduled to have, um, I already cancelled surgery last year mm. and I'm meant to be rescheduled whether or not I turn up for why it. Did another you, why did you cancel it? I was just frightened. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big surgery. It's yeah, a really big surgery. I've got, I've got many of them and they're quite large. So yeah, it's an open... Right open surgery it just frightens me it is so. it is it's really it's scary actually but then on the flip side the symptoms of uh, having such heavy fibroids are just what are uh, the symptoms awful for people well um, don't know I mean for me it's I have to change my clothes I have to change my bed sheets so it's heavy heavy bleeding yeah um, pain um, pain that you know painkillers or you know what you get prescribed or what you can pick up in the pharmacy don't even touch the sides with wow. cramping shooting pains I think it's different for stomach different growth you know yeah. mine just mine was just a little lump and then wow. one day it was just huge and I could feel it protruding I was like wow. oh my god oh my god I've got something awful I was just so scared like you I put it off I remember my operation was in February <laughs> funnily enough as you said it I was like that's a good sign it's it's a good sign. Sign. No, go for it girl you're fine I tell you what it wasn't a case of the reason why I had it with this particular surgeon was because he was a specialist. He was a black man mm. and he was a specialist for what he did and I just trusted him. Yeah. I'm not saying because he was a black man but there was something about him that I really trusted. Yeah, I really trusted. It was the hospital of where <laughs> the aftercare is actually where it came into play. In terms of fibroids, unfortunately, after four years, mine are growing back. back. Yeah. And yeah. that's the sad wow. thing. It doesn't cure them. For anyone who doesn't know, they are gross. They're like non-cancerous tumours that grow mm. inside and outside of your womb. And they can grow really, really big. And, you know, my stomach one day from going from a flat washboard tummy, wow. <laughs> to suddenly it was like, oh, where did this where did this growth, oh, this um, punch come from? You know, so it's... um. But everything that Nova says, I completely back up. It's very, it's it's a difficult thing to live with. The pain, the heavy bleeding, the embarrassment of yeah. you don't know. You could sit down and you don't even know what's going to happen. And you don't have these 28 day cycles exactly. either. You could be on a on a cycle, like on a period for three weeks out of four or just constantly. It's 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 very intrusive, isn't it? It's extremely intrusive. And my mum had them too. So, you know, so it's prevalent mine. within yeah. Uh, yeah. Caribbean oh, well. um, communities and um, genetic, they say, mm. uh, as well as many other things. So, yeah, my mum had it and uh, her, the cure for hers was hysterectomy. And that's what oh, they well. suggested for Gosh, me too. Yeah. We just got married. Maybe that 
that's a yeah, bit down the line. I know um, <laughs> singer Beverly Knight had a hysterectomy because of um, fibroids. Quite young. Yeah, my mum had a hysterectomy. It was the same thing, yeah. exactly like your mum. Um, but at that point, she'd had two kids. Yes. She didn't really want more. So she had hers quite early. I would imagine it was it was in her 40s, you know, early 40s. So, and, and when they offered me the operation, I put it off for years. Mm. I just kept monitoring it with scans and scans. And then one day they just got too big yeah. and it was just too much. And so I said, fine, we'll have the operation. But you do have to sign papers that say if you're in surgery and, and they yeah and they want to take your womb to save your life then they will do that yeah, and wow. I think that's the scary part is that what you feel yeah. Nova yeah, that's, yeah. that's one of the parts yes, yes of course can you, yeah. can you have a baby before you have the surgery or are you advised not to I mean for me personally um, mine are both inside and outside in my room I have about 13 of them most oh, of them wow. are inside mm. my womb so there's no room for babies so it's not yeah. my my womb is not viable mm. so um until that happens, we will be unable to have children. So, yeah. So you've got to have... So yeah. You need to get rid of them quick. Yeah. And then you need to just get <laughs> on knock the horse. Knock it out. Yeah, knock it out the horse. Exactly. Yeah, basically, basically, like, be, be ready, baby. Be yeah, ready. literally. Like, give yourself a few months. Yeah, they grow back. So, yeah, there's they a grow back of so quickly. Yeah. So it's gonna, you're going to be, like, banging the... If you want more than one, you're, like, banging them both just, out one yeah, after the other. It's like, to. bam. Okay. Oh, my um, goodness. It's, it's cool now. Let's go try again. Yeah, you'll have to. It's... It, I, I was shocked to know that mine came back so soon. Mm. But then I just think, do you know what? By God's grace, if I'm meant to have kids, I will have kids. And I believe I'm meant to have kids and I believe it will happen. So fibroids or no fibroids, you know, what God's will cannot. Do you know what I mean? Nothing yeah, else yes. can, can come above that. As so. the song says, when Jesus say, says yes, no one can <laughs> say no. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, it's been amazing, ladies. So tell me, if you could... Um, go back what would advice would you give your younger self oh that's a really yeah, interesting start with one you, Leah. Oh, um, start with me if I could give my younger self I would say do you know what enjoy every moment mm -hmm. try not to it's difficult because life wears you down in different ways different yeah. experiences that you you have I was bullied constantly since I was a child I was bullied in as an adult in the workplace wow. so I've had that a lot and people go what you you're gobby you can stand know, up for yourself yeah, you, you stand up absolutely but the thing is it's not about how fierce you are as a person mm. or as a woman it's about sometimes the psychology of somebody else I'm so real what you see is what you get I cannot do the whole psychological warfare thing yeah. it's not me so that can kind of really mess with your head so what I would say to my younger self is you know just stand strong stand firm go for it continue to work hard and kind of don't give up and obviously my younger self I would say to them look you will go through hard times you will suffer depression. You will go through some really dark days. But don't give up, as cliched as it sounds, you know, yeah. pardon the pun. Um, don't give up because actually you deserve to have a good life. And that's something that I still tell myself that now, that I deserve to have a good life and to enjoy my life to the fullest, which I don't necessarily always do. And that is an admission from yeah. me because for me, it's good to put these things out there yeah. because you sort of putting them out into the universe and going, actually, do you know what? I am trying to live every day as full as I can. I think you have to be intentional with that because otherwise the day, the weeks, the days, the months can all pass oh, us by gosh, if you're not. Absolutely. And I try to 
at least once a month, I have try and have something in my diary where I'm just doing that for me. Um, right, you know, I see. I only to... started doing that recently. Mm. I've never done that before. I've never done that for myself before. I've always done things for others, with others. But And somebody said to me, what do you do for you? In fact, my mm. own clients yeah. were saying to me, yeah. well, what time do you take? Because we see you give a lot of time yes. and a lot of energy to a lot of people. But what do you do for yourself? And I started realising, my God, when one person, 10 people, 20 people telling you the same yeah. thing, you have to start kind of looking and so I have I went to <laughs> I went to the cinema for the first time by myself no. <laughs> and I know that sounds a bit not at all, not yeah, at all. It's lovely. Like, it it was in a weird. cinema, yeah, even if you're going with somebody, sitting and watching the exactly. film, you're not even really talking. Well, that's how I if, reason. If I'm, ta- if, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm there with my girls and we're talking, then we're probably annoying exactly. somebody. Well, that's how I kind of reasoned it. I thought, but if you're in the cinema, then I just so happened to be out. I was um, in Stratford Shopping Centre, which I don't normally frequent, but I was mm. there, I was doing something and I thought... There's a cinema up there. I haven't seen Girls Trip. Surely it's going to come out the cinema any day now. Everyone I know has been to see it. Mm. Just get a ticket and go. It's in the dark, Leah. Who cares? And actually, I went and it made me laugh till I cried and cried till I laughed. And I wish that I was watching it with girlfriends. Mm. But at the same time, I was just really proud of myself that... I'd actually come and it sounds so silly and small but it was quite nice yeah. and then I went on holiday by myself Lovely. a few weeks back Lovely. yeah so yeah, enjoy nice. it girl it's self care isn't it yeah. absolutely what about you Nova what would you tell your younger self I would tell myself to just be myself unapologetically mm. I spent a lot of my adolescence trying to fit in and be like everybody else when in fact it's your uniqueness that makes people want to buy into you or to follow you or to work with you and to not be embarrassed or ashamed or or feel inferior or whatever it is but just to be proud of your Mm. uniqueness yep yeah why fit in when you were born to stand out exactly just be yourself and you know I think there's a lot around self-care and self-worth that is like gold once you get it Mm. your life you just live life much freer and it's not to say that that things don't happen that would knock you off your feet or that you won't experience you know mental vulnerability Mm. or stress or whatever it might be but that you're able to recover from it quicker you're able to seek these resources that move you through it yeah. yeah, I like that, Nova. What you're saying is perfectly right. It took me years. I used to dim my light for other people. Yeah. And I didn't realise that. Just because I'm a presenter and I'm an extrovert and la, 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 that is, a, that is what I do publicly. Behind yeah. the scenes, I'm really low-key. I just, you know, I'm just, mm. I'm pretty quiet. Um, and I just love my family and friends. And that's what I like to surround myself by. But something, a word that always came to me for many years is stop dimming your light for 100%. other people. Oh, your, la- your light is shining tonight, ladies. Oh. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you for sprinkling that black girl magic. <laughs> Thank um, you. Leah, how can people find out more about you and keep in touch? Well, just go. You can follow me anywhere. Leah Charles King on all social media. My website, leahcharlesking.com. Um it's not hard to find me, I don't think, especially in this day and age yep. of internet and media. So you can find me anywhere. And the redcarpetacademy.com if you want to find out more about training courses. And what about you, Nova? Much the same. All over the internet, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, at new underscore bride. That's N-U, www.nubride.com. All for the diversity, the race equality, the subconscious mm. bias, all of that stuff. That's at novareed.com. Amazing. So thank you, ladies. Guys, if you want to keep up with the conversation, use the hashtag Black Magic Podcast and we can continue talking. So thanks for joining. Thank, thank you. you.
the award-winning singer, presenter, and now star of the stage Beverly Knight MBE, is an inspiration to many. Since her debut release, Beverly has broken boundaries and ruffled feathers in order to stay true to herself. But she wouldn't have it any other way. Here's her story. Most people have known me for what I do for years. And I've been doing this 23 years. That's a long time. And it started at zero. I came up at absolute zero level. I came through when it was Blur versus Oasis and just at the end of um, Stone Roses and that. So no one was ready or interested for someone like me doing what I do. It was slowly, slowly, slowly and surely just breaking down bit by bit and it was painstaking baking down all the barriers and you know having a bit of success with flavor of the old school then taking it to the next record having a bit of success with made it back and then with greatest day and just inch by inch by inch getting people on board until it all seemed to make sense with shoulda woulda coulda and the who i am album but that was 2001 and i'd been at it since 1994 so You know, definitely not any kind of overnight success. I knew that what I was doing was what I wanted to do and that I wanted to make music that, first and foremost, I loved and I cared about and that would reach beyond what was a a stereotypical audience for a black female. It didn't have to necessarily be straight up and down R&B or straight up and down soul, you know. I turned to people like the Isley Brothers, my own idol Prince, people who have taken music and have experimented and and done all kinds of things and introduced shocking new instruments, (laughs) an electric guitar turned up loud, you know, into their music and faced the hostility and got through it. And I, I drew inspiration from people who had been called the horrible, ugly words, sell out. Such an awful phrase to describe people who just want to do something a bit different. And everybody, everybody who was a black artist at one point or another has had that accusation thrown at them from James Brown to Michael Jackson to Whitney to Prince, you know, for Purple Rain. Hello. You know, they've all been through it. So I thought, I'm going to be okay. There's more than one way to, to get people on side. So I started to do a lot more touring and a lot more live work. And of course, people see what I do on stage. And then any perceived notions of what it is to be a black, in inverted commas, artist and a female artist go right out the window. They just see a badass on stage doing badass things. So the live show started to break down barriers for me. I was speaking to a young actress about the difficulties and the challenges that she was having in being typecast because she was black, because she was female. Her ambitions were huge, but she was being limited to the black role. Aggressive, female, finger snapping, neck swiveling. And uh, she got very tearful about it when she was explaining to me. I said that it takes time for people to see beyond a stereotype but don't get mad with those people because they're only continuing a learned behavior 
but you can help them unlearn it by being amazing. Take roles that you can stand to do because eventually, if you smash those roles to pieces, people will eventually see beyond what is the, the, the received kind of notion of, of who you are. I never thought I'd be playing Grisabella. I thought Grisabella was for very straight, white, very middle-class kind of classical singing people. And here's me coming in doing the same role. Persistence and time. Those two things, you put them together and people will always come round to your way of thinking. So that's it. Season one of the Black Magic Podcast is over. I'm sad about that, but happy that I've had an amazing time bringing you the stories of inspiring British black women. And I hope their journeys have resonated with you. A huge thank you to all of my guests. And to you, the listener, for tuning in, sharing and subscribing. We'll be back with season two later in the year, just in time for the 2018 Black Magic Awards. So until then... Keep sharing, listening and shining. This podcast is produced by Unedited.